0: Well, this evening we're studying uh, Revelation chapter 10, so you can have that chapter open uh, if you have your Bibles there, Revelation chapter 10. And our theme this evening is half time, half time in Revelation, the big angel and the little scroll, the big angel and the little scroll. I try not to have too many illustrations from the world of sport in my sermons because I know not everybody likes sport or is interested in it. But if you watch football or rugby or any kind of team sport, uh, most of them have half time. And sometimes when you're watching a match uh, coming up towards half time, you'll hear the commentator say, This team needs half time. Uh, they'll say things like, The manager will be keen to get them into the dressing room at half time. And what they mean is that perhaps the team has been playing well, but the team is getting tired. They've put in a good performance, maybe against a superior team, but they need a break. If they're going to get the result, they, they need to just take stock and sit down and have a chat and regroup and remind themselves of what they're trying to achieve. Well, Revelation chapter 10 verse 1 through to chapter 11 verse 14 is a halftime break in the book of Revelation. See, God knows, friends, that this is a challenging book to study. He knows that the contents of this book are at times overwhelming for us to think about. And in particular over the last few chapters we've covered, the emphasis has very much been on the judgments of God. We saw that in chapters 6 and 7 with the cycle of the the seven seals as the Lamb uh, removed a seal each time from the scroll in heaven. And the release of those seals brought Uh, partial judgments and difficulties upon the earth Uh, and it culminated then with the seventh seed which depicted in in a small measure it gave us a small glimpse of judgment day itself the last day still to come. And then we've looked at the the cycle of the, the seven trumpets we've looked at six of the seven in chapters eight and nine and again the trumpets emphasize the partial and present judgments that God is already bringing upon our world, even here and now. And we thought last week, in particular, Trumpets 5 and 6, about the existence of Satan and demons and all the pain and suffering that they bring to the earth. And when we arrive at the seventh trumpet, at the end of chapter 11, once again, we will will get a a vision, we will get a, a little slice, a little taste of what the day of judgment will be like. And this is a lot to take in And what we haven't even really got to consider yet in the book of Revelation is what about the church in the midst of all of this? Uh, What's to happen to the church of Jesus Christ in these days leading up to the last day? Will the church make it? What is the church supposed to do? And that will be the focus of the next section of Revelation after we finish with the trumpets. But before we get there and in a sense leading up to that, we have a little bit of an interval, a little halftime break in chapters 10 and 11. So as not to get so caught up in the details of uh, the judgments and difficulties of life in this world, we have a little reminder at this point in the book about what Revelation is really all about. The Lord Jesus Christ, the risen reigning Lamb of God and his plans for his church. And so as we take our halftime break in Revelation, the first reminder that we have is a reminder of the glory of the risen Jesus. A reminder of the glory of the risen Jesus. We saw at the end of chapter 9 the sixth trumpet blast. And we saw how that trumpet blast uh, brought war upon the earth. Hardship, trial, another limited judgment from God. And so we would expect the next thing we read about to be the seventh trumpet. And yet, first John sees something else. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. The first and obvious question is who is this mighty angel? And even amongst Reformed commentators, there is a split opinion. Uh, Some suggest this mighty angel is either Michael or Gabriel. I've mentioned them to you before. Uh, The the only two named angels in the scriptures. Uh, Gabriel means, his name means God is my strength or strong one. And so some people suggest that this is maybe Gabriel or Michael uh, coming down from heaven. Others, however, suggest this mighty angel is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, or at least it is a picture or a representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. G.K. Beale, uh, Joel Beeky, Derek Thomas, among others, all take that view. And since those men are usually fairly persuasive about these things, I'm persuaded by uh, their arguments and I'll give you some reasons for it. Uh, Firstly, we need to remember that the word angel simply means messenger in Scripture. Uh, To qualify as an angel, in a sense, all you have to do is to deliver a message from God. And the Lord Jesus Christ certainly has come down from heaven and speaks a message. We should also bear in mind that when we read in the Old Testament about the angel of the Lord, and in your Bibles, angel of the Lord, the Lord is in block capitals in, in most translations. Uh, That's the covenant name of God. Uh, And so we understand the angel of the Lord uh, to refer to appearances of Jesus Christ uh, before his incarnation, before his his being conceived by the spirit and Mary's womb and being born in Bethlehem. We have several instances of people realizing that they are speaking to the angel of the Lord and then bowing down to worship the angel of the Lord because they realize that this is In some form, this is God himself appearing to them. And so you think, for example, of Gideon in Judges chapter 6 or Joshua uh, meeting the commander of the Lord's army in Joshua chapter 5. They realized that they were encountering no mere angel, not an ordinary angel, but they worshipped the one that they met as as God. Uh, Just to give you a further example, Jude verse 5, we studied Jude in the summer Jude verse 5 says that Jesus led his people out of Egypt. Exodus 23 verse 20 says that God's angel led the Israelites out of Egypt. And so again, we have reason to believe that in, in, some, uh, in some form, perhaps in, we might say in an, in an angelic form, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself uh, uh, was, was with Moses leading the people out of Egypt So all that to say, friends, that Jesus is described as an angel or the angel of the Lord elsewhere in the Bible. And I believe that this description in Revelation chapter 10 is quite clearly intended to remind us of the description we had of Jesus at the beginning of the book. If you look at how he's described in Revelation 10 verse 1, it says he is wrapped in a cloud And one commentator pointed out that only God or the son of God is ever described in scripture as being surrounded in a cloud or coming with a cloud and so forth. And that's why we sang from Psalm 97 and Psalm 99 earlier surrounding God being surrounded by clouds and thick darkness. There's also a rainbow over his head we're told in chapter 10 verse 1. We last saw a rainbow in Revelation around the throne of God in chapter 4. His face was like the sun, verse 1, and that's exactly how Jesus is described back in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. His legs are pillars of fire, again, an Old Testament description of the presence of God. And verse 3 says that when he spoke, it was like the sound of a lion roaring. And so all of those descriptions, friends, they fit the son of God better than they fit any mere angel. Even Gabriel and Michael are never described in those terms. We're not told that when Gabriel, for example, visited Mary to tell her that she would give birth to Jesus, that he had anything like this kind of appearance. And what we're getting here at the halfway point of Revelation, friends, is a reminder of the glory of Jesus Christ. That in the midst of the judgments that our world is experiencing and the pain and the sorrow and the spiritual darkness that our world is in, we're being reminded here, don't don't take your eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. In a sense, don't miss the, the forest for the trees. Don't take your eye off the main thing that this book is about. Remember, this was a book written to tiny scattered little congregations in Asia Minor, in modern day Turkey in the In the first century a d the Roman Empire ruling the world and all the idolatry and paganism and persecution that was mounting, the purpose of this book is to fix our eyes upon the glory of the risen Jesus Christ. He still reigns, he is in control. And to emphasize that last point of his control, look at verse two. He set his right foot on the sea. And his left foot on the land. And so this figure in in the vision appears in a gigantic form to John. He stands on the seas. And he stands on the land at the same time. This is a picture of course telling us that the whole creation is under the feet of King Jesus. I don't know if you know your your Greek mythology, if you ever had to study it at school. Uh, But one of the the titans in Greek mythology was Atlas. And Atlas was condemned or or cursed to hold up the weight of the globe. And so you've probably seen that image in various places of Atlas. And he's he's struggling under the weight of it. And he can barely stay standing as he props up uh, the heavens and the earth. Jesus Christ is not struggling under the weight of the world. Jesus Christ is ruling over the world. Joe Beakey says, The feet once nailed to the cross now straddle the universe. The feet once nailed to the cross now straddle the universe. He is over all of it. And halfway through Revelation, this is what we're to be reminded of. He is mighty, He is glorious, He is reigning. He is roaring like a lion. He is king of kings and lord of lords. It's easy to get lost in the days of change and anxiety and upheaval in our world. It's easy to get so fixated on the headlines and the wars and the price rises and the busyness of family life and the busyness of church life, whether you're uh, a minister, an elder, Sabbath school teacher, member, deacon, uh, whatever your role may be in the church, and friends, in the midst of all of it, we are not to take our eyes off this glorious King. His face is shining like the sun, his legs like pillars of fire, our guide and our protector standing fierce and strong, reigning over his world. Remember this, Jesus, when you hear his name taken in vain. He's not a swear word. He's a mighty king. Remember him when you go to put John's gospel through someone's letterbox or into someone's hand this week in Drumore. You're serving this mighty king. Remember him when you prepare yourself for worship each week. Boys and girls, mums and dads, men and women, we are coming to worship this mighty king. Remember him when you've scrolled through social media for long enough. And it's time to find something more nourishing and refreshing. You will find it when you again look at your mighty king who stands astride the universe. A reminder of the glory of the risen Jesus. Secondly, a reminder of God's sovereign judgments. A reminder of God's sovereign judgments. Notice the very end of verse 3. When he called out, that is the when the mighty angel called out, seven thunders sounded. And John's reaction to the seven thunders is very understandable. And it's probably, he probably reacted without even thinking about what he was doing. Look how he reacts to the seven thunders. Verse four. When the seven thunders sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said. And do not write it down. Now you can understand why John would have gone to write down what he was seeing. Because that's what he's done up until now uh, with everything that's happened in this revelation. He has received seven letters for seven churches and written, written them down. He has seen seven seals on the scroll and written them down. He has seen seven trumpets blasting, written them down. And John was probably thinking, okay, well, seven thunders, better write them down as well. But he's told not to. Do not write it down, says the voice from heaven. Most likely the voice of God himself. And that's very unusual in this book. Usually things are unsealed and left open in Revelation. Revelation is literally an open book There are things in it that Jesus wants his people to know about so that we can persevere, so that we again fix our eyes upon him, so that we better understand what is happening in our world. The only thing that John is told to seal up in this whole book is the seven thunders. The obvious question is, why? It's an obvious question without an obvious answer. But maybe the best answer is that here in our halftime break in Revelation, God is reminding us that he is God and we are not. That he knows all things and we do not need to know all things. He's revealed some things to us. He hasn't revealed everything to us. I've mentioned more than once since we started Revelation that some Christians get absolutely obsessed over it. Someone was telling me just last week they knew of a a preacher who for the vast majority of his ministry was preaching either directly or indirectly on Revelation most of the time. (coughs) And people like that, friends, they tend to think that Revelation gives us all the answers to everything. And they start drawing up charts and, and reading too much into International politics and what's happening in the city of Jerusalem and the rise and fall of particular regimes and some of them even start making predictions about when exactly Jesus is going to come back and they, they set dates about when the end of the world will come, even though Jesus said, no one knows what day that will be except the Father in heaven. Friends, Revelation is not a book that answers every question that we might have. It answers many questions. But it will not answer every question. And it certainly does not give us knowledge equal to God's knowledge. And I, I wouldn't want to be dogmatic about it. But I suggest to you that the seven thunders being sealed up. Is a reminder from God to us as we study and read this or any part of scripture. That we do not know everything. And we cannot know everything. Yes, Revelation will be and I trust has been a blessing to anyone who reads it but it's not going to give us all the answers to all the questions we have no idea what the seven thunders are about Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law Notice the emphasis there. Don't worry too much about the things that haven't been revealed. Think about the things that have been revealed and obey them and do them. God has secret things, friends, that will remain secret things until at least we enter into glory. Plans and purposes that only God knows about and which we do not need to know about. Jesus taught us, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And certainly in terms of the future, it's a mercy that we don't know uh, everything that's going to happen in the future. Sometimes we maybe wish we knew how certain things would turn out in our own personal lives or particular things we're waiting on or thinking about or hoping for. In fact, we're better living without that knowledge. Leaving it in God's hands. The point is emphasized further by the fact that John is given a little scroll in this chapter. And the the language very much emphasizes that word little. It's little compared to the scroll that we saw back in chapter 5. And if you remember back in chapter 5, there is this scroll in heaven and it is sealed And John is almost uh, lamenting because it seems no one will be able to open that scroll. But then the Lamb of God is declared worthy to open the scroll. And that of course is a symbol for us of the Lord Jesus Christ. Taking the plans of God symbolized in the scroll into his hands. And Jesus Christ enacts and brings about all the plans of God. uh, For judgment and salvation for the history of the world. Jesus is worthy of having the entire plan of God in his hands. But here in chapter 10, Jesus gives John a little scroll. Not the big scroll, the the full-size scroll you might say, but a little scroll. Perhaps a reminder to us again that we don't know everything, but we know enough. We know how we can be saved. We know that judgment is coming. We know that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who can take away the sin of the world. But there are other things we don't know. And so in this halftime break in Revelation, it serves not only to remind us who Jesus is, but to remind us who we are. That we are mortal, that we are limited, that we don't know all the secret things, that only God knows all the secret things. Our culture prizes being able to discover information, and nowadays we only need to know how to get information rather than remember it. Some of you uh, used to have to remember phone numbers or addresses or directions. Uh, we don't need to remember any of that anymore. We just need to know how to get the information, or the, or how to get those sorts of pieces of information. We can get it instantly, and a little part of us thinks every time we have to look something up and. Read it out to whoever's in the car with us or whoever's in the room with us. We feel kind of clever uh, even though we've done none of the work and the phone has done all the work for us. And so there's something about this little interval, this vision of the mighty angel and the little scroll, I believe, designed to keep us humble. Just because we can use Google Maps doesn't mean we know all God's secrets. Just because we've read and studied the book of Revelation doesn't mean we will have all the answers. But we worship and serve a God who does. What he reveals to us is enough. What he hasn't revealed. May we be content to leave with him. And trust in his good sovereign judgment. For all things. It's a reminder of the glory of the risen Jesus. A reminder of God's sovereign judgments. And thirdly and finally this evening. A reminder of our mission. As God's people. A reminder of the mission. Of God's people. In verses 5 and 6. The mighty angel raises his right hand to heaven. And swears an oath, And that emphasizes how solemn and certain this is. Look at the end of verse 6. That there would be no more delay. But verse 7. That in the days of the trumpet call. To be sounded by the seventh angel. The mystery of God would be fulfilled. Just as he announced to his servants. The prophet's. Now that word mystery it means something a little different uh, in the New Testament from how we use it today. Uh, for us, a mystery is usually something to be solved. And so you maybe hear of someone suddenly disappearing in the news, never heard from again, and the news headline is their whereabouts remains a mystery. No one knows what's happened. In the New Testament, however, the mystery of God is something that has been revealed. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's God's plan of salvation that was once hidden. It was hidden in the past, but now it has been made known. The word mystery appears, I think it's 27 times in the New Testament. Almost all of them in the letters of Paul. Listen to the words of 1 Timothy 3.16, for example. 1 Timothy 3.16 Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. And then Paul says what this mystery is. That he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And so you see there Paul has declared the mystery. The mystery of who Jesus is and what he has done. And that's why at the end of verse 7 here in Revelation 10. Notice it says, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. And the word announced there, uh, our translation doesn't quite capture it. Literally in the original it is the announcement of good news. The announcement of gospel. The evangel. And the gospel is what John is to concern himself with here. Notice what happens next, verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And what is happening here, friends, is John is being recommissioned. John is being called afresh to the work of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 11. I was told you must again prophesy. You must again prophesy. In other words, you must keep doing what you have already been doing. That is declaring the mystery of God. As I said at the beginning, much of what we've seen in Revelation, particularly in the visions of the seals and the trumpets, it's focused on the judgment of God on unrepentant sinners. Revelation has shown us that many people in this world, we thought about this last week, many people, despite the drastic partial judgments that God is bringing upon our world. Many people will remain hard-hearted, stuck in their sins, refusing to repent despite the unmistakable signs of God's warnings and judgments in our world. And perhaps friends, as John saw those visions of judgment, as he saw all of that unfold, no doubt it was overwhelming, but perhaps also he was tempted to think to himself, well, what's the point in preaching any longer? What's the point in continuing to announce the mystery of God if so many people are just not going to repent? If judgment is near and in some measure already here, why bother? I wonder, friends, are we ever tempted to think that way? We're giving out our, inv- our invitations at the moment to worship. Giving out copies of John's gospel around the doors in our town. And we might think to ourselves, sure we've, we've done this so many times before. And what fruit have we seen, as far visible fruit as far as we know? We make our way to worship Lord's Day morning and evening. And we're passing by dozens, hundreds of houses out there. The occupants of them aren't going anywhere On the Lord's Day morning or evening. Except they're in their beds. They're watching TV. They're scrolling online. They're heading out to sport or shops or wherever they go. And maybe we think to ourselves, will it ever change? And you see friends, that's why John is told here. That as he eats this little scroll. All that symbolic picture language of course. It will be sweet in his mouth. But it will be bitter in his stomach. Verse 9. And what that's telling us is that God's truth is a joy. It's a a delight. It's as sweet as honey for us when we speak it. And when we make it known. And yet often there's a bitterness of having spoken that word to others. In the case of preachers having preached that word at times. And yet seeing people not repent. Maybe you're on a doorstep in Dremore. Or you get talking to an unsaved neighbour or relative and they ask a question and you quote scripture and and you declare to them as clearly as you possibly can Jesus Christ is King believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and you speak the words and, and there's sweetness to it because you know you're speaking the truth but they don't repent and that's the bitter aftertaste of proclaiming the gospel and the temptation can come Well, why bother? (coughs) But what is John told? You must again prophesy. You must keep on speaking God's word. Even verse 11, if it's to many peoples and nations and languages and kings. And friends, when those four labels get put together in Revelation, as we'll see in the second half of the book, it usually refers to people who do not repent And yet John is told to eat up God's word and take in its goodness and truth for himself and then proclaim it to others. And that's what we need to do as well. We can't proclaim God's word if we haven't first taken it in for ourselves. We thought about this to some extent this morning as we heard God's word proclaimed powerfully uh, this morning in worship. The need to know those sacred writings to be acquainted with them and to make our little ones acquainted with them and to Keep on making them acquainted with them. We can't proclaim God's word to others. If we haven't first eaten it up. And delighted in it ourselves. It's a difference between someone who. Knows all the ingredients that go into a delicious meal. And the person who's actually got to eat the meal. And can tell you about how good it is from their own experience. And what we're being told at half time in Revelation is that we are to keep on feeding upon the word of God so that we can keep on proclaiming the word of God. We're to stick to the plan and stick to the task. We're to believe that the God who knows all things, Jesus with his his feet planted over the land and the sea, has his purposes in our proclaiming the mystery of God to sinners. And we don't know what the fruit of it will be. Isaiah 55:11, we were thinking about this passage in our midweek last week. "My word shall not return to me empty," God says, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It shall succeed." Friends, God's word going through the doors of Jamor will succeed. It will accomplish whatever purposes God wants it to accomplish. Your faithful witness to unsaved loved ones or neighbours will succeed. God will do with it as he sees fit. You just need to do it and it will succeed. So eat up that sweet honey. Nourish your own soul each day with the word of God. Rather than only the words of social media or chat groups or talking heads on TV. Learn to say with the psalmist that the law of the Lord is sweeter than honey. From the honeycomb prophesy again share speak proclaim the word of God no matter what wars are being fought what lies are being told what crises are afflicting our nation friends this this is the mission to tell people the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done great is the mystery of godliness and we are to reveal and make known that mystery. So at halftime in Revelation, we have three reminders. Remember the glory of Jesus Christ. Remember the sovereignty of God. Remember the mission that he has given us. Amen.